Well, good morning, North Point. Uh, a new face, a different face. My name is Ronnie. If I have not had the chance to meet you, I'm one of the staff pastors here at North Point, and so I'm so excited to welcome you and to see you here. And so I just want to say welcome to all of you on our campus, both you that are sitting nice and pretty in front of me, or you outside in our outdoor service. Um, those of you who are watching online, welcome to you. And I also want to give a, a special uh, shout out to our Kerman Watch Party that's uh, happening today. And so we actually have some friends, some special friends that I just want to, I want to say welcome to. There's six um, people from, from uh, the First Southern Baptist Church of Kerman who are visiting uh, with our Kerman Watch Party today. And so Lillian and Don, Norma, Karen, Terry, and Sharon, they have a burden for the people of their community in Kerman. And so they, they've been talking with some of our leaders of our Kerman uh, folks here at North Point, and they've been talking together about just this, this passion to see people in Kerman come to know Jesus and know the gospel. And so they're visiting to, with us uh, out at the Kerman Watch Party, so welcome to you. We're so glad uh, that you're a part of what's happening in Kerman and at North Point. We are in a series. This is week four of a series, if you've been tracking with us, called Gospel Life. And gospel life is, is really embracing the if factor of following Jesus. What if I really took the gospel seriously? What if I allowed it to do the transforming work that it wants to do in my life? What would be the result? And we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. And, and it, the, the gospel has an incredible power to transform and to make us people that are in the image of Christ. And today I want to talk with you about living out the gospel and what that means as you begin to let it take form and take shape in your heart, that it leads you to be more compassionate, more generous, more loving towards those people in our life, and specifically for those people that maybe are in a greater need, maybe those people that are different than you. Now, the message of the gospel forces us, honestly, no matter what the topic is that we're talking about, that we all have to face our own brokenness. We all are broken people. We all have our own hurts and habits and hang-ups, our own struggles in life. And so as we begin to uh, recognize and face our own brokenness, and we begin to internalize what that means and what Christ did for me, it will begin to transform us from the inside out. And as that work begins to happen within us and it transforms us, we begin to see the hurts and, and the brokenness and the needs of other people, maybe in a new way or in a way that we've never seen before because we have fresh eyes and more perspective. And so today's message, the gospel lie burdens you for is what I want to talk with you this morning about. And I want to look at one of the most well-known parables that Jesus told. The parable is a story that Jesus would use to tell a point, to make a point. And he tells a story of, as you guys and I know it, in your Bibles, you can turn there if you want now, to Luke chapter 10, it's known as the Good Samaritan. It's such a well-known parable that Jesus told that people that don't even follow the Bible, the people that aren't even believers, still use the, the, the wording of it if someone broke down on the side of the road and, and a good Samaritan would come and change their tire. Or a good Samaritan came and helped catch our lost dog that was running the neighborhood. And so we're pretty well familiar with the story. Luke chapter 10, 
verse 25, and it says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he's not talking, he's not asking Jesus like maybe you and I would be inquisitive to know what would Jesus would say and how he would, how he would give us this answer that's just going to go bow, you know, and, and, and make this huge impact in our life. No, this is, as it says, he's, a, he's an expert of the law. He's a scholar, a theologian, if you will. And so the scripture says that he does it to test Jesus. Let's just see if this rabbi, if this teacher, really knows what he's talking about. Almost like a cynical question that's being asked. Jesus answers, what what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? I love, this is is like spiritual jujitsu that Jesus just pulled right here. Right? Don't you hate when, when, when you ask a question and it gets answered with a question? And Jesus just flipped it back to him and said, you give me the answer. So he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. This scholar, this, this, this man who understood scripture, got the, he got the right answer. Teacher, give him a gold star. Should be the end of the story. But it goes on and, and, and he goes, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked, and who is my neighbor? Now, some of us might think, looking at the story, that that's a silly question, who is my neighbor? Because we can say that, well, everyone's my neighbor. People, people all around us, those are our neighbors. But this, this gentleman, this one who asked, he understood. It says he was an expert in the law. He understood Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five books of the Bible that explain the law, and the, and the Jews lived by these words And so it had a different meaning when he talks about, well, who's my neighbor? Because even in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says that your neighbor was was actually a limited number of people who were fellow Jews that were in your, right around you. So not everyone was my neighbor. They were someone who was a Jew like me and who was in my sphere of life in a small nucleus. Well, this is going to bring the Good Samaritan story to a whole new level. Because Jesus is about to turn the man's whole way of thinking upside down because he's saying, your neighbor and my neighbor are two different neighbors. Before we get to the story, let me give you, let me give you the players that we're talking about. First, you have, and we have three individuals. The first one is the priest. And for all, any of you who, who are Roman Catholic background, you understand and you know what a priest is, and, and if, you're, if you're not, you still have seen enough TV shows to know the priest is the one that represented uh, you to God, man to God. He was the intermediary, if you will, between man and God. And now we don't have that, right, because Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is our great high priest, and now we can have direct access to him, but back in the day, they didn't have that. That's what the priest did. He was the intermediary. He's the one who offered the sacrifices. The second character is the Levite. 
Now, the Levite is from one of the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and all the priests came out of the tribe of Levi. And, and the people from that tribe had specific roles and responsibilities. They worked in the temples. They were the teachers. They were the judges. They presided. They had leadership. They were, we can, we can say, maybe they were pastors. Maybe they were deacons. Maybe they were lay ministers, people that looked up to because they held special regard and relationship within the church, within the temple. And then you had the Samaritan. Now the Samaritan worshiped the same God as the Jews. They just did it differently. They, they just, they had different rules. And so scripture that they followed they got to pick and choose from. And so instead of Jerusalem being where God said that they should go and worship, they had a different place that they decided that they wanted to worship God. And so over time, you can see the division between the Samaritans and the Jews continue to grow. And there was a great disdain between these two groups of people. Even hatred towards each other. In fact, some people, when they wanted to criticize Jesus, you know, you want to, you want to say something. You ever, you ever get so mad that you just, you just, what's the worst thing that you can say? My kids have done that to me before. It's like, what's the worst thing I can say to you to hurt you without getting in trouble or my mouth washed out or something? And, and, and so the Jews, in John chapter 8, they, 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 they were so irritated and bothered at Jesus that they call him a Samaritan. You're a Samaritan. You're a drunkard. You're a glutton. That's what the Jews thought. But likewise, the Samaritans thought the same things about the Jews. In fact, you'll read in, in Luke chapter 9, one book uh, you know, previous to the one that we're in, you'll see that Jesus wanted and the disciples wanted to go through and, and they wanted to go into uh, Samaria, into this village. And, and they found out that Jesus was coming and he's a Jew and they wanted no part of him. He wasn't welcome in their village. And I love, I love the disciples, James and John. Um, they, say, they say, this is funny, they say, well, you want us to call down fire? We can burn this town down. Another example you can read about my favorite story in the Bible, John chapter four, where Jesus talks to the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. So you see the, the, the great divide here that we're talking about. So let's go, let's go on. Jesus is gonna tell the story now that we know who we're talking about. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. It was more than... He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two... Denarius, two, which is literally two days worth of a wage for a middle class family. And he gave it to the innkeeper and he said, look after him. And when I return, if he's going, meaning what? Meaning that he's going to be leaving. He's going to continue on his journey. 
See, this, this interrupted his plans, this interrupted his day. He said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I love the fact that Jesus asked him, which one, uh, which one of these neighbors is the one? And, the, and the, the, this expert of the law couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He said the one that had mercy on him. See, in Scripture, what you're going to see is Jesus casts a wide net. Who is my neighbor? That's a question that I posed to you this morning. Who is your neighbor? Who are those people that God has placed in your life that need assistance, that need help, that need a smile, that need a hug, that need an ear? But what I love about Scripture is it not only talks about Jesus casting the net wide, but he also talks about boundaries that we're to have as well. And so I want to start talking through this morning and looking at the world, at how the world tends to look at the hurt and the needy. Because oftentimes we fall into these two extremes, and I want to, I want to, I want to see if you can resonate with either one of these extremes in your own life. The first one is the bleeding heart. The bleeding heart thinks everyone is an innocent victim. We have any bleeding hearts out there? Yeah, I didn't think so. Actually, I know some of you are bleeding hearts because I've talked with you. And, and, and you have a heart and everyone's a blank, a blank slate and, and people are, you just, you just, they're victims of their environment. They're victims, uh, you know, it's just a tragedy how that they were raised or, or what's happened to them in life. But at their core, they're really a good person. I had a, a woman once ask me if I would speak to her adult son and, you know, she's like, she told me, he really has a good heart. Now, he has multiple arrests and he's way behind his child support. He can't keep a job. And, and it's like, that is a typical mother who's going to have the bleeding heart that says, my son has a really good heart. I don't make a good counselor, I'm just telling you. Because it's like, dude, you need to pull your head out. Your, your mommy, she's babying you, but you need to grow up and be a man and take care of your responsibilities and go get a job. So maybe I fall on the next one. The other extreme is the hard heart. The hard heart often thinks that we get what we deserve. We choose our own destiny. Whatever happens to us, obviously... We've chosen. Here's the interesting thing about those of hard hearts, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I'll get the same response I got last time. If you lean towards that of having a hard heart, and, and that's kind of the side that you have, I'll tell you right now, life, let me just tell you, is pretty good for you. If you lean towards having a hard heart and thinking, you know what, whatever happens, they deserve, they deserve that, that's life, your life's pretty good right now. Because only the people who say that, that people get what they deserve are people who aren't getting what they really deserve. 
I've never had someone say who's lost a job unexpectedly and lost a home or walked through a tragedy that is something of their own, not a something of their own doing, and that words that came out of their mouth, well, you know, I just guess I got what I deserved. You only hear it from people that are on the upswing and life's looking pretty. The truth of the matter is that both of these have seeds of truth, but both of these extremes are very unhealthy. And so I want to look at the story of Jesus today and that Jesus told and, and have us examine our own lives of what areas in which do we fall into these extremes that are keeping us from being the hands and feet, that are keeping us from living out the gospel life of not getting walked over, not getting ran over, not being so busy and so consumed with doing ministries that we're neglecting specific things like our own family and our own health and so forth. But how, So we have boundaries, we have good balance, but we see people and we get off the sidelines and we get into the game of life, of living out the gospel. Because if you're a bleeding heart, you need to learn some boundaries. The last thing you need to do, honestly, I don't want you to hear me as we talk about ministries and ways that you can serve. The last thing you need to do is be away from home for another night a week. That's unhealthy. If you're a hard heart, I want to go back to the old saying of WWJD. You guys remember that? that They had shirts and wristbands. What would Jesus do? Some of those things, those, those things that pop in your mind of the, yeah, they're homeless because they're just... They're, they're that way because, and we begin to draw conclusions. You think Jesus is drawing, would draw those same conclusions? You think Jesus would have that same heart? See, because we live in a broken world where there are a lot of hurting people, people far away from us. My heart breaks for, for what's happening in India right now in the pandemic and, and, and how it's just devastated communities. On top of that, a couple of weeks ago, they got hit with the cyclone which left hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people homeless. There are hurting people that are near us in our own community, and we can see them as we drive. You can point them out and see them on, on the corners, and you can drive through neighborhoods, and you know people in your own area. There's people that are in our own families. So how do we need to react? How do we need to respond in a healthy way. Well, having a heart for the hurting, there's five things practically that I want to challenge you just to think about. The first one is learning to distinguish between divine appointments and drive-by guiltings. And every time I type this up, I know that's not a word. It kept underlining red, but go with me. Is this a drive-by appointment that God's put in front of me? Or is it a drive-by guilting that someone else is putting on me that I should do and I should respond to? The Samaritan had another plan. He was on a journey and something within him compelled him to stop and detour what he was doing that day to take care of a man who needed to be bandaged up and put on a donkey and taken to shelter. 
For others of us that, that we, we maybe, it's, it's, we're driven by, well, gosh, I, I got to, well, who's looking at me? I guess I should stop on the pastor. So if Linda's seeing me, I better do something. I better, I better help that person and give him gas or take him coffee. I don't, I don't know if, you're, if you can relate to this, but, but I got to tell you, I get, I get constant drive-by guiltings. There's so many of you who, who think that you know what I should do and what I should say, and what I need to be doing. And we can take my own family who has their own, you know, way, way of doing that. But it's amazing just in this message alone how many, how many things I got contacted of people wanted me to highlight, people wanted me to, to talk about. Because our world is full of so many needs and so many, and so, so it's like I, I have a guilt of like I can't say yes to everything or this will just be an infomercial and we'll miss the biblical principles. And so how do you set boundaries? Because I can't be all things to all people. But that doesn't give me a pass to do nothing. And so the real question that I want you to ponder on this point is what's your motive? What's the motive? What's that internal thing within you that gets you to act or not act when you see and you hear a need? And to respond to something. Again, in Luke 10.33, but the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Something sparked. And so he reacted. And he did something about it. He wasn't running around from Jericho you know, to Jerusalem looking for this Jericho ministry of looking for people that had gotten beaten up and robbed. He was just going about his day. This wasn't a formal, you know, ministry. Not not that there's something not wrong with a ministry, if that's what God placed on his heart. But he acted within just his everyday normal life. That he saw somebody that was in need and he took pity on him. He felt compelled. I like what Paul says in Galatians 6.10. It says, therefore, as we have the opportunity... Let us do good to all people. Not just some people, not just the people in your family, not just the the people that look like you, not just the people that talk like you, not just the people who who you're friendly with. There's all kinds of people all around us. If we would just open our eyes and take the shutters off and see people that are a lot different than us, As the opportunity presents itself, I have one example I just really am excited to share about a ministry that was birthed here at North Point out of a real-life situation. And so I asked Marlene to, to give me some of her story. She said, I had suffered through almost 10 years of being degraded and diminished by a divided family as I stood up for my elderly father against years of abuse from his spouse. I stepped into being his advocate, his caregiver, managing both of our lives. Every day brought new questions, new conflicts, and new burdens. Isn't that real life? One day I was complaining about not being able to do the things that I wanted to do because of how many things I had to do for my father. And then I realized that there will be a time for me in the rest of my life, but this is the rest of the time in his life. 
In that moment, I chose to set myself aside and focus only on ways that I could make the rest of my father's life abundant, even as it declined. Three weeks after my father's death, I was grieving, and the Holy Spirit nudged me to funnel all my love and loss into a way that would help others to refocus issues related to aging, to avoid, getting, uh, to avoid setting foot on the painful and lonely path that I had witnessed. Pastor Mike helped bring God's concept to reality, and we created elder care ministry for elders, their families, and caregivers. God has handpicked ministry members by their own hearts and guided us to elderly communities with the greatest needs, formed community ties that enabled us to bring an education series to the North Point campus and to give out resources to elders. At what age, she asked, does God quit pursuing your soul because you're too old? She answers her own question and says he doesn't. The fact is that we do by paying less attention to the spiritual emptiness that grows to consume every aging population. We never stop needing Jesus, but some elderly people have never known Jesus, and it's our mission to speak the gospel to them right here in Fresno, Clovis, Madeira, and the ends of the earth. If heaven rejoices over one lost sinner, imagine the party for someone who's been found after 80 years in the desert. Isn't that a cool story? So, someone, someone that had a heart, birthed out of her own pain and her own real life that said, man, I want to help other people. Walk and find that fulfillment and find Jesus. And as, if you know Marlene, she, she's a passionate person, and so she attracts people because of, because of her passion for this ministry and other people that have the same heart for the elderly, and they're doing all kinds of things in, all over town. There, there is a monthly meeting that's happening here tomorrow at 6.30 in the Peace Center, right, right behind it. Actually, it's over there. I'm going to figure out where I'm going. Peace Center is that direction. And the modulars, and I encourage you, you know, if your heart is for the elderly and what's happening in the community and how you can plug in and get involved and in serving and loving on those in the last chapters of their life, I encourage you to be a part of that ministry and check them out. Here's a second principle I want to give you, and that is that you offer help before you offer advice. Oh, that's so hard for some of us because we have all the answers. We know what everyone else should do if you would just listen. And so uh, I implore you if, you, if you are that type of person, because I'm a fix-it person. My wife hates that about me. She wants me just to listen, and it's like, you don't, you, you got to preface it with just telling me that I don't want you to solve it. Because I'm immediately going to go into problem-solving mode. I want to fix it. And, and this can translate into how, how we see and interact with people because we, who cares about, about, about giving advice and telling people what they should do? Let's, let's help them right where they're at. You've got to earn the right to be heard. If you find someone, you know, as the Samaritan did, who was robbed and he's bleeding and, 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 and he is he's near death, they said he left them to die. The last thing that the guy wants to hear is a lecture about how he shouldn't be traveling alone. You guys know that's the reality. Is that, 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 was, that was an area between Jericho and Jerusalem that, that was known for, for people 
getting robbed and murdered. They didn't have 2021 where we got cameras filming everything that goes on. They didn't have police riding camels, keeping you feeling secure and safe. It was a place where crime happened. And the guy didn't need a lecture on, you know, where his travel buddy was. He needed help. James 2.14 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it in your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose that you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day. Stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? I love the New Living Translation, how it puts that. 1 John 3.17 says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God love God's love be in that person. Dear children, get this, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Here's the third thing. Fix a problem, but don't feed a pattern. We want you to fix a problem, but don't feed the pattern. Learn the difference between fixing a problem, which we all should do, and feed in a pattern which only fools do. That means that I fix a problem whether it's self-induced or not. As in the story that we see here, the, the guy was probably someplace that he shouldn't have been, by himself that he shouldn't have been. That's a dumb thing to do, but we fix the problem. What does it mean to feed the pattern? Well, today in psychology, if you're familiar, we celebrate recovery. We call it enabling. And feeding a pattern is when I come along and I enable someone to make and make it easy for them to continue doing something that's wrong, something that's dumb, something that's not helpful, but is actually hurting them. I fix a problem. Then I go back and I might have to fix the problem again. But a third time I come back and I see it's the same problem, I need to step back and say, hold on. I fixed the problem, I fixed the problem, but now I see a pattern. And I need to stop. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Here's a great rule. The one who's unwilling to work shall not eat. You feed the hungry. I'm all about feeding the hungry. You take care of them, but if they continue to be hungry and they're unwilling to do anything about that and they're unwilling to work, you don't feed the pattern. Because when you continue to feed the pattern, you never learn the lesson. This one hits hard for some of us because some of it is hard when it's in your own family. Here's the fourth one. Do what you can. You and I are not asked to be all things to all people. You and I are not responsible. Get that. We're not responsible for what we can't do. Going back to the two extremes that we talked about earlier, the bleeding heart is, oh, I haven't done enough. Or the hard heart, well, I can't do everything, so I'm going to do nothing. 
Here at North Point, you know, we're all about God's eternal purposes, and, and one of those is the mission purpose. We are all burdened for mission in some way, of, and living that out is part of God's plan for all of us. And so we want to talk about living out mission through the peace plan and how we're impacting our community. And you're going to hear that all the time about the peace plan and how we are putting those concepts into our community. Inside your message notes, you got this flyer. It's a great peace plan of different ministries that we have. You're going to see this insert. And, and I want to encourage you to look at how you can plug in. Maybe one of it, whether it's elder care, or maybe it's big heart who does some incredible things in our community. Maybe it's Homework Central, or maybe it's our Saturday sports camp. I want to encourage you to do what you can and, and check out how you can plug in. And you can see right there how you can email missions at North Point and get plugged in. We also have a community serve day, Saturday, June 19th at 8.30. More details to come, but you can check that out on our social media or North Point events page that you get plugged in. We have people that are on the patio. They're either going to be wearing a, a peace shirt that you'll see like that or they'll have peace signs around there. If you want to ask more questions about when they meet or, or how I can, I can plug in or what I can do to help in the, this area. We can't do everything, but all of us can do something. And that's all we're called to do. Do what we can do. Galatians 6, 2, and 3 says, share each other's burdens and in this, in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself, you are not that important. Again, sometimes the NLT is just, you just can't mix words right there, right? Matthew 14, 13 is another great story. As Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat in a remote area. I'm just gonna tell you, he goes out and he prays. He's going place to place. I can't imagine. I can't imagine the pressure on Jesus of everyone wanting something from him. Because we all have hurts. We all have needs. We all have struggles in life. And so they hear about this man that's coming and he's radically changing lives. The lame can see. People that are, that are broken. People that have never walked are getting up. Life change is happening, and so they continue to come in bigger and bigger crowds. And so he goes to this remote area to be alone, but the crowd heard that he was there, and they followed. And they headed that way, and it said many came from all over many towns, and this huge crowd had gathered. And it says, so Jesus stepped off the boat, and he had compassion. Seeing the hurting, seeing those ones that, 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 that had come because they needed something from Jesus, and it says he had compassion on them. So he began to heal the sick. He began to do something. There's a great song that I just want us to take a moment just to reflect on. It's called For the One. Listen to the words as Tommy and Megan sing the song. Thank 
So you do what you can do. Here's the fifth and final one. You remember that God can do much with your little when you offer it. There's no telling what God can do when you can just say, God, use me. And you can have all the built-in excuses and your own insecurities. Well, what can I do? What can I offer? 
But when you're open just to say, God, use me, God can take you and he can take your gifts and your abilities and your heart and he can expand it and grow it and do incredible things. Back to the story, Jesus, you know, he's healing the sick and he's teaching the the huge crowd that had gathered. And his disciples come to him and they go, you know, gosh, we should send all these people home because we don't have any food and they're going to be hungry. And some of them traveled from a far distance. And Jesus said, no, let's, let's just have them sit and we'll feed them. And so they go out and they, they check their resources. And you remember, they only had this boy's little lunch. This is all we have. And then he told the people to sit down on the grass in verse 19. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up towards heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people and they all ate as much as they wanted and afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children from one little boy's lunch. Has the gospel made you more compassionate? Has the gospel made you more generous? Has the gospel message made you more loving towards others? This morning, I just want to leave you with some questions. The first one is, if you have a bleeding heart, what discernment, what boundaries do you need to put in place? Because oftentimes with the bleeding heart, it's never enough. It can become so discouraging. If maybe you have your heart's a little too hard, you need to, you're a little skeptical Maybe you need to ask God to give you some more empathy for people, to see people the way that he sees people. So what is a practical step that you can take today to live out the gospel in a way that shows the love of Jesus to others? Again, we have ministry workers out on the patio that would love to talk with you. More than welcome, we encourage you to check out online under our events page of different ministries and opportunities that you can help there. Next Sunday is our core class. So 101 is discovering church membership, what being a part of North Point's all about. 201 is how do I grow as a disciple. Related to this message today, 301 and 401 are so critical and huge. Marlene in her story talked about this, how 301 understanding your shape and how God has shaped you. That's 301. God has shaped every single one of us for ministry. Don't rob others of how God designed and made you and the impact that you can make. And then 401, living your life on mission. Great classes we encourage you to go online and sign up for. But my prayer is that we leave here with a challenge that we're going to be different than how we came in, that our eyes are going to be a little bit more wider. We're going to see those opportunities that God places in front of us every single day to be his hands and feet. Bow with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you that your word does not return void, and so we offer it to you and ask that you would do a work that only you can do. God, that you would speak into our lives and into our hearts, give us the courage 
do what we need to do. God, that we would live out the gospel in our day-to-day lives, in our words and in our actions. God, we love you and we praise you in your name. And everyone said, amen. Let me turn it back over to our hosts.